Please welcome Ofer Amitai. Morning, you all. I just have to get organized. <clears throat> Since Dennis has already read this, these scriptures, I will go straight into uh, speaking about this text, and um, there are different angles in which you can look at these scriptures. And I would like to concentrate on verse 6 and 8, which will be kind of the theme that leads me through meditating on these verses. And um, so verse 8 says, But when you pray, uh, sorry, uh, 6, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret or sees in secret. And verse 8, your father knows what you have need of. And I'd like, there's six things that pop out of these two verses that we can emphasize. One, he is father. Secondly, he is your father. Thirdly, he sees. Fourth, he sees in secret. Fifth, he knows. And sixth, he rewards. We will look into that. But when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find something very interesting, that there are precious few references to God as Father in the Old Testament as compared to the New Testament. Just in the Gospels alone, the word Father appears 165 plus times as compared to the Old Testament where the word Father relating to God appear only 15 times. Now you may ask yourself, why is that? Has he changed? God never changes. So why is that? And I believe that the reason for it and the explanation to that is that until Jesus, the Son of God, came, the fatherhood of God could not be revealed fully. Until the Son came, we couldn't know exactly too much about the Father in a way that he revealed him. And these things are born in the scriptures. For instance, in John 1, verse 18, it says, No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has revealed Him. The only one who is the same as God has made Him fully and clearly known. So you can say somehow that first, the Father is Jesus' Father, and then through him, ours. When Jesus was about to be crucified and gone before that a little bit, in his conversation with his disciples, Philip said to him, Lord, 
show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. And Jesus answered him and said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? It's interesting that he refers to the Father, but he's referring in the first person, me. It's as if the Father is speaking through him. Haven't you seen me and my Son? To understand the Father, you have to know Yeshua. You have to know Jesus. To understand him, and it's not just about salvation and coming to him, but getting to know God as Father has to be that you pursue the Lord himself. Jesus um, He who has seen Yeshua kept on saying, Me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? The Father is exactly as Yeshua depicted him. You want to know who God is? You've got to get to know Yeshua. You've got to know who he is from scriptures, from meditating, from walking with him. And through him we can know the Father. The Father is exactly who Yeshua lived out to be. And it's a little of a mystery to us because there's a trinity that we hardly understand anything about. And yet, and yet Yeshua's life explains the Father. It's very comforting, isn't it, to know that God the Father is exactly in the spirit and in his character and nature and is what Yeshua lived out. Sometimes people have a feeling like God the Father is unapproachable and maybe a little bit upset with humanity and Yeshua is the good guy. That's not God. God the Father is who Yeshua showed him to be. I want to return for a few moments to the Old Testament, as I said, there's any reference to God as Father in the Old Testament. And when you, but when you read some of those scriptures, you have a certain feel about them. For instance, Jeremiah 31 verse 20 says, this is God the Father feeling his, a great love for his wayward son Israel. And he says, is Ephraim my dear child, my dear son? Is he Pleasant, a pleasant child, for, for since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. The word bowels in the Hebrew depicts compassion. This deep feeling you might have for someone in need or a love that sees the need of the loved one and is moved deeply from the inside, from your gut, from your bowels. This is the seat of compassion. And it's interesting that the word compassion, the root word for compassion in Hebrew is womb, exactly like a womb. And so God feels like a mother would feel for her unborn child or for her born child Compassion means just that exactly. As a mother would feel for her child, so does God feel for us. 
And I, it just um, reminds me so much. And there is a sense in this that this is God speaking or the father speaking towards the prodigal son. As he was gone from him, the father did not cease feeling compassion for him. In fact, the picture there of, of this, of this uh, story is that the Lord saw him, this, uh, his father saw him afar off. In other words, he was always thinking about him. He was always missing him. He was always wanting him. He was always feeling for him. And the least little movement of this child of his back, immediately the father saw it. This is the way God is. He feels for us. This is where, this is what this about Israel. God is yearning and longing over his wayward child that has left him and God gone and worshipped idols and into the world and all of this. So I want to look at these six things briefly and then I'll make a few comments about what it, what it, how it implies to us. First of all, God is then Father, as we have seen, as Jesus so clearly spoke about it. But not only is he Father, he is your Father. Your Father. John 20, verse 17 says, when Yeshua, when Jesus was um, resurrected and about and before his ascension, Mary apparently clung to him and he said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And I could say that God the Father could become our Father, your Father, only through the crucifixion of his Son. That made it possible for him to receive us, to adopt us, to bring us into the fold, to bring us back home from where we were eating with the pigs. My Father and your Father, my God and your God. This is at the cross. The second thing is that we must know about our Father, your Father, is that he sees you. He sees and in the Hebrew thinking and Bible, uh, the, the, the biblical understanding of seeing is to see is to provide. God doesn't just see the need and says, oh, that's just too bad. But when God sees you, it means he will provide for you. To see is to provide, to take responsibility, see, it, see to it and arrange for something to happen. And of course, the greatest seeing that God has ever done is our need for his son. He saw our need, he saw our condition, and he sent his only begotten son that we might become his adopted children. There is a beautiful picture of this in the 
Tanakh in the Old Testament. And this is when Abraham was on the mount, when God told him to take his only son and bring him to that mount and sacrifice him. This child of promise that he had waited for and prayed for and went through all these things and now God is telling him, come and give him to me this way through sacrifice. And at the last moment, as you will remember, that God stopped him. In fact, Abraham was so intent on carrying out God's will that God had to call him twice. God has to call us many times, maybe because we're not paying attention. But when he called him, because he was intent on doing what God says, said. And so he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he got him back into this understanding that God had provided something else. He saw a ram. God provided something else instead of his son. And this is one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament of the cross of Jesus. No sacrifice that we could have made have ever brought us close to God, close to our Father, back home. But God had to give his son that we might then be able to come. Instead of us on the cross where we belong, but he gave his son. And so this is God seeing. To see is to provide. And when God says to see, he not only, he says he can see the deepest of your heart, and mind, and soul, and condition, and knows what to do about it, because he is your father. In Luke 13, verse 10, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. This is just another picture that for me shows the seeing of God, and the way he looks at us, because to see us, he doesn't just see the need, but he has deep compassion for our need. When you're hard-hearted, God sees us as a need and he will send something to soften your heart again. Kinds of various needs. They're not just financial or health-wise or job-wise or anything else. We have other needs, spiritual needs and all kinds of needs and God knows them all. God understands them all. So there's that picture of Jesus being in the synagogue and he was teaching on the synagogue on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no in no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. And here I'm thinking about this woman. Women in those times sat in their own section, probably in the back, and this woman was bent down, so he, she, maybe she was somehow in the middle, but Jesus saw her. And to see is to provide. And Jesus has what it takes. And he calls her back up. And you know, it's to his own hurt, because he's healing on the Sabbath, and people didn't like it. And he could care less about what people liked or didn't like when it meant seeing the need and meaning it. 
And so he reached to her and he called her back. And from that day on, after 18 years of pain and being doubled up, you can imagine the suffering that was there. There was no, uh, no doctors in those days and operations and all that. And Jesus in a moment, to see is to provide. And uh, he sees us. And in Romans 8.32 it says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And I want to say not just stuff that we like so much and want and pray for, but things, the things that we need from him to become fully his and fully matured in what he wants to transform us into. He not only sees and provides as our Father, but he sees in secret. And the secret there is something that is shielded, something that is unseen, hidden, shielded, invisible, private, hidden. Now, the passage here uh, urges us to pray in secret. But our Father also sees, it says in this passage, sees in secret. And so many times Yeshua knew what people were thinking and he says, Why do you say in your heart? There is nothing for, that he cannot see or not know. I love these scriptures in Psalm 139. It says, <clears throat> verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up, you understand my thought afar off. Before it ever is thought, he understands our thinking. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Better than us. Better than us. I love this picture in the Old Testament of what happened when Sarah was in the back of the tent and the angels, uh, the visitation they had when, when, when they told Abram that, that he was going to have a son and she laughed inside and she said, huh, it's impossible. And the, and the angels could see it. And he said, why are you laughing? She said, I didn't laugh. He says, oh, yes, you did. In fact, because you did, call him Isaac, which means laughter. And I love this because first Sarah laughed, and Abram laughed too, of the impossibility. Then God laughed. And him who laughs last, laughs best. <laughs> and he is the God who sees in secret. It's very comforting and very scary sometimes. <coughs> it's scary because we think that God will judge us for our thoughts and sometimes he needs to, but he loves us. It is your father that sees you in secret. And he has what it takes, the blood of Messiah to cleanse, to do all things. It says in verse 7, uh, verse 4, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Now, why in the world would you want to flee from God? Well, if you know him as your father because you know Jesus, you will not flee from him. You don't need to. Remember, he was not known as fully the father as he was known in the New Testament. Jesus revealed him. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and your book, they all were, and in your book they were all written. Days fashioned me, the days fashion, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Don't you just love this? God is all-knowing. Part of much of our prayers is explaining things to God so many times. We take an awful long time because we think he's slow and he doesn't see. We explain our motives to him. We explain all kinds of things to him. Instead of just coming and knowing, he sees and he knows. And so he does know, he is intimately aware, and that word is used in the New Testament to describe a knowledge through intimacy, knowing a person through direct personal involvement and experience. God does not need to be informed of our wants or any more than he needs to be roused and woken up to attend to them by our incessant speaking. Sometimes we really truly think God doesn't see, understand, or know, or even awake. How much better would it be to come with full confidence that my Father knows, my Father loves, my Father understands. And he rewards openly. That means he causes to happen what needs to happen to do it means to do it means to pay back it means God will meet the need cause it to happen and fulfill and I know that I'm sure that every one of us has a testimony about answered prayer do you have testimonies like that? of course sometimes they're huge we just receive funds for without ever even writing one little letter we just prayed 10 years. That's all. Does that seem long to you? It isn't long. We didn't work for it. We had it in our hearts to pray only to him because we believe these scriptures. And we were committed to never getting it if God didn't give it. And after 10 years, the Lord simply just out of the blue without asking anyone but him, gave us what we needed to purchase the building. So there was not even any sweat in it. We never even missed a beat. We went from wherever we were renting and just came in there, and the thing came with all of everything that's in there. 
perfectly provided for. Every microphone, every camera, every, everything you could think of. The people are going around pinching themselves. So it's just little stuff for God. Actually, what's more important for Him is we who are His building together. Now, as you know, in these verses that were read before, there were people who were parading their prayers and walking around just outside, parading everything. And all this behavior of giving charity, but in a very, very ostentatious way, like somebody maybe would come in here and put a big basket, huge basket, and he would bring a few trumpets, and then he would bring a big, huge check like they do sometimes in these lotteries. It's a huge check. And they bring it around and say, Oh, I gave this. <laughs> this parading of your prayers in public or, or vain babbling, which is repeating endlessly to awaken you, this God that you think is asleep, are the work of those who do not really know God as their father. How demeaning to God that we endlessly repeat ourselves because we think he's a little slow. These are symptoms of people who do not know their father. This is older son behavior who lived with his father but never really knew his heart. The son who lived with his father and did not know him really. Perhaps our need to impress people is like children in family who hope their father will notice them by what they do and excel in. Or perhaps we want to win his favor above all, above others, hoping to get his attention. Some of us have come from difficult families, fathers who were lacking. For years and years and years I have battled with the fact of thinking that God doesn't care. Oh, he cares. (laughs) Deeply. Trying to win favor rather than simply coming to him on the basis of him being who he said he is, our father. As I said, this was the attitude of the older brother. And yet no obedience or compliance with God's commandments and way can win us a place at the table at his side. You may impress others, you may impress yourself, but you don't need to impress your father. He is your father and he has provided all. He won't love you more for your great acts or prayers and charity. He has already loved you with all he's got, his son. And so this very kind of ostentation distanced the older brother from the father. He was outside of the feasting and the joy of his father. He was invited, but he removed himself from it. Our righteous living and acts of mercy are done not to win his grace, 
but because of it. They're expressions of the greatness that we have to him. They're not to win points, not to win favor, not to get him to do mercy to you. He already has. You have his love and mercy and compassion and fatherhood. He'll never disown you. He loves you. And those who come in that way through Messiah will share in and receive all the benefits of that kind of a heart. So we are urged in, this, in these scriptures that were read to give in secret, to pray in secret. And I believe, actually, that's the younger son. In Luke 15, 18, he says, I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. That's a pretty short prayer, isn't it? And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That is In reality, that is God sending his son for you. That's how the father ran. You you know, in this parable, when you look at it, you say, well, where is God in it? Actually, Jesus is telling the story. He's right there. He's speaking to the older brother to be like the younger one. Sometimes we can be a bit of both. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in, in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. And he, he doesn't even, the father never even answers him. He simply says, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Slay the fatted calf. The father sees. And so what's the application for this in these verses? Well, first of all, you and I need to know all these things, that he is your father, that he sees, that he sees in secret, that he will reward you openly. And so you can dare. He actually invites us and say, look, You don't ever have to be insecure again about who I am. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to impress me, he says. And you don't have to impress other people. You don't even have to impress yourself. You can dare to give secretly. You can dare to pray Secretly. In that place where you agonize and ask, he sees you dare to trust him and believe that he is as he has described himself in Christ. And you don't have to multiply words. He said, don't babble and don't think that God is like the idols 
He is, after all, your Father. And you will find that the Father of Jesus Christ is your Father. May these words encourage you to press into God, to find him as your all, and may you dare to live out the scriptures in this way, and you will find something amazing. That the God who sees in secrets will openly show the answer to your greatest need openly as your father. And people will know they have a father in heaven. May the Lord bless this little meditation to you as you go on looking at the Sermon on the Hill. And may God bless every word and make it faith in your life that you might grow in him to the fullness of all he has died to give you. Amen.